Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All right. Hello, everybody. We're going to get started in a minute. I just want to kind of give you a lay of the land for episode number two of the Bare Bones Yoga podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. And in today's episode, I'm going to be talking to you about some of the brain blocks that can get in your way when it comes to really connecting with your students. And it really comes from what might be kind of obvious, but maybe not, (laughs) Uh, this idea of really being connected to yourself. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about what some of these self-limiting beliefs can be and um, some strategies for how you can shift your way of thinking, shift your way of being, so you can really feel more comfortable not only when you're teaching, but some of these things really kind of morph into ways of being that just affect us um, in a positive way and just our way of interacting, not only with ourselves but with other people. So, you know, the practice of yoga teaching is of course an instructional one, but it really comes from the heart. And so there are a lot of things that we need to, or we should, face um, as individuals and and if we have challenges or if we have some roadblocks just really taking the time to do some self-examination around how can we get past these blocks so we can really be our most authentic self because our power as an individual really comes from being really really authentic and sharing our special unique way of teaching this wonderful practice. So that's an overview of what the podcast uh, today is going to be about so let's get started. All right, so my name is Karen Fabian, and I am the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode two, and we're going to be tackling the limiting beliefs that get in the way of your teaching. And I'm here today after just um, spending 14 hours, maybe even a little bit longer, traveling yesterday back to Boston from Portland, Oregon, where I was in a week-long 60-hour 
myofascial release training with um, teacher Tiffany Cruikshank. She's the founder of Yoga Medicine. I've done a number of trainings with her. And this particular training focused on myofascial release. And if you're not familiar with that, I'll just give you a really simple example. When you go to the gym and use a foam roller, that is a technique under the broad topic of myofascial release. And MFR is really in reference to muscle and fascia, myofascial, and a way of manipulating just this thin layer. Actually, there are two layers under the skin that go in between our muscles and help keep our muscles gliding smoothly with respect to one another. And it's really helpful to use a number of different techniques to keep the fascia healthy. So that was what I was doing for the past week. So if you've ever gone away, and I'm sure a lot of teachers listening have gone away for a week and immersed themselves in training, it's always a little weird that first day when you're back home, kind of feeling a little out of sorts. So I have a little bit of jet lag, a little bit of that, but I am super excited to be here to record this next podcast. I've gotten some really nice uh, feedback from teachers on episode one. And if you didn't catch that, you can just go right on my homepage, barebonesyoga.com, and take a look at the tab for the podcast and listen to episode one. Because there I really lay out the landscape um, for you in terms of what you can expect from this podcast. I know you have a lot of things going on in your life and your time is short. And I really want wanted to take episode one to give you an idea of what the podcast is about, why I started it, and what my value proposition is for you, right? Like, what can you expect if you give me half an hour, 45 minutes of your time and listen to this? So today we're going to talk about tackling the limiting beliefs that get in the way of your teaching. And I want to give you just kind of a brief outline so you have an idea of what the uh, topics are in this underneath this broad topic here. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to the topic. What are these limiting beliefs? The second thing I'm going to do is talk about five limiting beliefs that we can have as teachers. We're going to go through the list. I'm then going to break down each one, go through each one in detail. And then we're going to talk about strategies. What are some empowering techniques that you can use to address each one? And then we're going to talk a little bit more about some healthy go forward strategies. So let's kind of, you know, kind of talk about just a little bit about why this topic can be important. So, you know, here in the second episode, I wanted to hit the ground running with a subject that I think is so important for yoga teachers to address within themselves, but one that is rarely discussed. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you shared with a colleague that you were feeling, quote unquote, less than when it came to teaching and more about what was behind that feeling? It can be really hard for teachers to admit these things to themselves, let alone other teachers. And it's also not that uncommon to feel isolated. I know for myself, you know, as I mentioned in episode one, you know, there's kind of this ships passing in the night scenario that happens when you're a yoga teacher and you run into teachers, but it's usually for a really brief time. So sometimes you can feel somewhat isolated and not feel like you have people that you can reach out to that are teaching for support. Um, In my virtual coaching sessions with teachers, I hear a number of concerns. And while they all take on a different tone, the common thread 
the common thread is usually fear. There's some kind of fear-based issue in there. So I'll just kind of you know keep that in mind as we go through these individual um, ideas. So I want to start out with a story, and just you know one that to me even today when I think about it just brings up a lot of feelings of insecurity. You know these kind of fear-based feelings that um, that can trigger us to thinking that we're less than other teachers, right? So we're talking, we're talking here in the context of teaching yoga versus people, but it's all interconnected, as I said in the beginning. So let me just kind of set the scene for you. It was many years ago, I was teaching in a small community studio. And um, it was the kind of place where you really get to know your students well, it was a small room, um, probably fit maybe 20, 22 people tops. And you really got to develop a relationship with your students. And I was the kind of teacher, and I, I still am to a certain extent, that um, I really didn't chit chat a lot with my students. And of course, I was pleasant and I was friendly, but I really didn't ask them questions about their personal life or or really even much about their practice. And, and that part in retrospect, I, I don't feel so great about. <laughs> but I think from kind of a healthy boundary perspective, I guess you could kind of say I'm someone that really kind of respects boundaries of people as people, uh, as students, and I don't really dig too much in there um, when they come into class or when they're leaving, that type of thing. I looked at my role as one of professional, and I was I was kind of wrapped up pretty tight around that idea, if you know what I mean. I mean, I think I, in retrospect, kind of took it maybe a little bit too seriously. But you know, we all go through phases, and that was definitely one of mine. So one day I'm at my desk, and I see um, an emergency sub request pop through my email. And again, if you're listening and you're a yoga teacher, you know what that looks like. Someone has childcare issues, someone's ill, or something worse in the hospital, something unexpected's come up that's going to prevent them from teaching their class that day. And, um, you know, when I saw the request, I noticed it was for a teacher that I knew, and I also knew that she was, in my view, a pretty popular teacher. And I could tell that because her classes were always full. And she always had a really easy rapport with her students, both before and after class. And I'd noticed that when I'd gone and taken her class. And, you know, I secretly, in some ways, I secretly yearned to have that kind of rapport with my students, even though I knew on some level that it just wasn't my style. And, and I want to kind of point out here that this is really kind of the trick, you know, when our, our mind is kind of playing tricks on us and, and insecurity is driving things, you know, we kind of look outside ourselves at other people and we start to do that comparison game, right? And so we start to think, and here in this scenario, I was starting to kind of convince myself that that was the kind of person I wanted to be when in fact, that really wasn't my true nature, but there was something there that I was assigning a value to and putting myself in kind of a less than position. So, you know, that was kind of the you know, kind of the ego's mind trick that it was playing with me. Um, so, you know, when, you know, the other thing I want to mention kind of along those lines is you see this kind of thing often when a new teacher starts teaching after graduation, many times you'll, you'll hear in their voice the same phrasing and intonation of their lead teacher in training. You know, it's almost unavoidable, but eventually, sooner rather than later, we have to find our own voice, right? So whether it's our voice, our cueing, our word choice, um, 
you know, something more about, you know, kind of a way of being, right? This idea of like, oh, I want to be really friendly with my students too, even though that feels a little awkward to me. I'm looking at this person and I'm seeing this person has a lot of people in their classes. That must be part of the secret, right? So again, in all these scenarios, you know, we're kind of taking our, our true nature and saying our true nature is not right. This other person's way is better. So back to the story. So I see this emergency sub request and I can do it. So I respond that I can teach the class and I head over at the designated time to teach and the window between the email and my response and the class was really short. So the studio administrator, whoever manages the website and changes, that person didn't have time to, to make any website changes to reflect that I was covering the class. So I didn't actually know that though until I walked into the studio and as I approached the desk, a person um, looked at me who was standing at the desk and said, is she teaching? How come the website didn't say that? And I literally just, I wanted to crawl into a hole. I wanted the floor to open up <laughs> and I wanted, you know, to just be swallowed up. I felt I felt awful. And this was, of course, loud and in full view of the actual studio room where students were setting up for class. You know, I had this whole self-limiting belief that I wasn't good enough to cover this teacher's class. And then upon arriving, the first thing someone says when they see me seems to validate this belief. And I will tell you that I don't even think this person had ever taken my class. I, I, I don't, I honestly can truly say this was many years ago, but I can honestly truly say I don't think that person's ever taken my class. Um, so I mustered a smile and explained to the student that there had been an unexpected emergency. Everyone was okay, but the teacher wasn't able to make it. So I was covering, you know, I was trying to impress upon her that, you know, the show must go on, the class must go on. And we were, you know, as a team stepping up to support this person. And um, I, you know, I said, look, we're, we're sorry that the website wasn't updated, even though in my heart, I just wanted to say, you know, are you kidding me? You know, probably other things I don't want to say in a podcast. So while we as, while we each as teachers may not have experienced exactly this scenario, I mean, I hope you haven't, we all can relate to the idea of feeling less than for different reasons. Maybe you worry that you're not as popular as another teacher. Maybe you think you don't know enough to teach. Whatever it is, we're going to dive into it today. So first, let's take a moment. Let's define what a self-limiting belief is. In my view, a self-limiting belief is something that you think about yourself to be a fact and something that holds you back from expressing your true nature. Let me repeat that. A self-limiting belief is something that you think about yourself to be fact and something that holds you back from expressing your true nature. I want to take a moment to highlight the part of that definition that states, quote, something you think about yourself to be a fact, end quote. And I'll tell you, I did not look this definition up anywhere. I didn't pull this off of somebody else's website. I mean, this is just literally right from, from my heart. So something you think about yourself to be a fact. Did you ever hear that saying, you are not your thoughts? Now that I'm sure you've heard and I'm, I'm not the, the author of that. But this is similar to that. 
You see, one of the qualities of a self-limiting belief is that we believe it so strongly that we swear up and down that it's true, despite evidence to the contrary. In fact, even if we get confounding evidence, we'll stick to our original story. So for instance, in my example above, after that class I taught, if people came up to me and thanked me for the class and said they liked it, I might have turned that around into saying to myself that they're just saying that because they're pitying me. And to be honest, I honestly don't even remember teaching the class. I don't remember if someone came up to me. I mean, I was really kind of stunned when I had to begin teaching. I was really still kind of in a stunned state. So let's take a look at the five self-limiting beliefs we can have as yoga teachers. I'm just going to run through them first so you get a general overview and then we'll go over each one. So the first one is I'm too new and I don't know enough to be teaching. The second one is I'm not popular enough also known as I don't have a social media following, students don't know me, blah, blah, blah. The third one is I'm not pretty enough, I don't have the right body type, I'm not fit enough, or any of those, all of those other things related to that kind of self-perception. The fourth one is I can't do complicated postures and I'm not skilled enough at yoga to be teaching. And the fifth one is I'm too old or I'm too young. So those are the five. There are more. <laughs> the mind is not at a shortage of coming up with these, these things, but those are the five we're gonna tackle today. <clears throat> so before we go into each one, a little truth for you. You know, these podcasts, to me, it kind of feels like going into therapy with yourself. I, I come into the studio here and they close the door, they set me up with the audio, and then I, I honestly, this feels kind of like therapy for me. <laughs> Um, so over the past 15 years of teaching, I have thought every single one of these self-limiting beliefs about myself. In fact, I still to this day think these things every once in a while. I don't think of every single one all the time, but every once in a while I think of one of these things. I don't think it does us any good to shove these thoughts under the rug. In fact, talking about them is super important but you have to find the right sounding board. And we're gonna talk more about that when we get to the part where I give you some go forward strategies. Um, for now, let's explore a bit more into what each one of these self-limiting beliefs is about. So the first one is, I'm too new and I don't know enough to be teaching. So I'm gonna tell you another little story here to kind of bring this concept to life. I remember in my first teacher training with Baron Baptiste, which I think was like early 2000, 2002, something around there. Um, we had an exercise, and if you're listening and you've trained with Baron, you probably know this. We had an exercise we did where we were called upon to teach the group, but you didn't know when you'd be called. So, you know, imagine this. You're, you're at the retreat center. You're in Downward Dog, for instance, um, you know, with 50, 60 other people. I mean, even back in the day when he first started doing trainings, they were, they were big, big trainings, a lot of people. So you'd be in Downward Dog and someone would be teaching, right? One of the trainees would be teaching. And you knew that when their time was up, either Baron or one of his assistants was going to say, okay, Karen, you're next. And so you didn't know when it was coming. So it was kind of this, <laughs> you'd be in, you'd be practicing and you could feel like your, your 
brain like pulsing. You could feel your heart like pumping. You just were terrified. I mean, it was just terrifying. Um, and when you heard your name, you'd hop up to teach. So I can remember in this one training, um, there was this girl who jumped up to teach when she was, and when she started teaching, it was super clear she was nervous. You could hear it in her voice. And while I was practicing, I was so worried she was going to just completely lose it. But something interesting happened. She started to laugh at herself. I mean, she'd make a mistake and then she'd laugh out loud. And then we'd laugh. And it most definitely wasn't a nervous kind of laughter. You know, like when you when you screw up and you know it and you kind of like, ha ah, ha ha. Like it wasn't like that. It was a full, robust, just genuine laugh. And when we were laughing back, it was not at all like we were mocking her. There was just this general lightheartedness to her laughter. So you could you could tell she was just saying, hey, guys, like she wasn't literally saying this, but you could hear in her laughter and the quality of her laughter. She was just basically saying, hey, guys, I'm new. Give me a break. This ain't going to be perfect, but it sure as hell is going to be real. So it just was the way that she communicated that. And our laughter in return was as if we were saying, you know, I feel you. <laughs> I know what you're doing is hard and I'd mess up too. I love that you're letting your true self shine through. And I can remember being on my mat and I was in awe of her. I mean, I can literally sitting here, My, you, you can't see obviously, but my eyes are filling up. Like I was literally in awe of her. I mean, how did she have such a lightheartedness about her. And I mean, me, I'm such a perfectionist. I, I could not even imagine having that kind of lighthearted, you know, kind of attitude about something so important, right? How was she not totally freaking out about what she didn't know? This was like baffling to me. You know, I, I prided myself on always getting things right. So, so this whole kind of observation of this person was just, was just completely new. But she mastered one of the first rules of teaching. It doesn't really matter what you know. More that you only be real and authentic. Right? It doesn't really matter what you know. More that you only be real and authentic. We're going to get into strategies for managing this at the end of this podcast. But for now, I want you to think about this a bit more. Think about all the new teachers out there. And that if they said they didn't know enough to teach, what a shame that would be. Just like I'd miss out on my chance to learn from this new teacher's authentic nature, so would you. We each have a gift to share and it's less about the academic knowledge and more about our way of being. I mean, think about that. I am sitting here in this recording studio in Boston, Massachusetts, some however many years later, right, 2003 to now, I can't do math in my head. And I literally still have tears coming to my eyes from the memory recall of this experience. That's how profound it was to me. I have no memory of what she taught. I don't know what part of the sequence she taught. No memory of that. But the, her way of being, I mean, I didn't even write that in my outline. I'm just realizing that right now. And it's just, it's kind of blowing my mind. So let's turn to the obvious question. If you bought into this idea of not knowing enough to teach, when would you know enough? In another year, two years, five years, what other information would you need in order to feel like you had enough knowledge and were now ready? 
I know there's some discussion in our industry about the 200-hour training format currently held out as a standard by Yoga Alliance and that some teachers feel that 200 hours is not enough time to train somebody to be a teacher. I'm not going to say here um, whether or not I think 200 hours is enough time, and maybe that's actually a conversation we could have on a future podcast. But the point is, if 200 hours enough isn't enough, is it 300, 400, 500, right? So, you know, of course, of course, and I don't want you to think that I'm not impressing upon you the importance of, of understanding just the academic part, but I hope that you get the flavor, right? This is nuance now, right? I hope that you get the flavor of what I'm trying to impress upon you, right, is that there's a whole other aspect of teaching that in a lot of ways is going to be more memorable to your students than what you're literally teaching, right? So the reality is we're possibly chasing a never-ending question to know enough when in fact at some point we have to decide to move forward anyway, right? That's why the Nike tagline just do it is so perfect you know my dad and I have talked about this over the years just do it even when you feel like you freaking don't know just do it anyway now does that mean we teach super complex sequences try to add in every anatomy detail we can and teach complex poses of course not part of moving forward anyway is to do it with smarts and to recognize that you are still in learning but does that mean that you avoid teaching entirely because of some fear-based notion that you don't know enough? No friggin' way. No way. All right, so let's go to self-limiting belief number two. Number two, I'm not popular enough. I don't have a big enough social media following. Students don't know me. So I remember teaching long before social media was a thing, right? And I also remember, <laughs> just give me an idea of how old I am, I'm over 50. I also remember studios that took cash or check, right? I mean, my first, I don't know, couple years of, well, my first like year of practice before I went to my first teacher training that I was referring to before. Cash or check, that was it. Those were your options for paying. Um, to find out about a great class, you heard from someone who'd been there. When you arrived for class, it was of a if it was a class that got good reviews, right, word of mouth, you had to get there about 45 minutes before the class to get a spot. Those were also the days when there wasn't a studio on every block, so there were a lot less options for people. You know, but now with the increase in studios and teachers and the rise of social media, there's a new channel that teachers can use to get the word out about their classes. They can also use social media to share stories, share what else they're doing in their life, and essentially create a personal brand. Before the rise of social media, you know, there was really no platform to do that, you know, at least not online. In person, yes, but not online. And, you know, there's been a lot discussed about the impact of social media on our psyches, this idea of this FOMO, fear of missing out, you know, the idea that social media is actually making us more isolated than um, uh, in increasing our connectedness with people. And there's even been some conversations about social media use increasing the incidence of depression. For yoga teachers, there can be a feeling of not being popular enough or not having a strong social media following as something that they need in order to be successful. You know, these feelings might come up when you scroll through social media and you feel a knot in your stomach. 
It might come up when you chat with another teacher about a post that they saw or a teacher they follow. And if they're being honest, they might bring up a fear that they have around this. But, you know, let's think about this for a moment. Teaching yoga is about making an in-person connection. Of course, there are online classes and lots of online content you can create. I mean, I'm a example of that. I have lots of online content and I have a lot of people that I connect with that I I never see and probably never will see in person. But the most common way you'll interact with students and build a following of your own is through your in-person work with them. Another factor to consider is you have to start somewhere. So instead instead of focusing on what you don't have, like a big social media following, why don't you focus on what you can do? which is teach every class to the best of your ability and look for ways to build connections with your students. You know, I'll tell you another little story here. Um, The Sunday before I left for training, so that was like, what, a week and a half ago, uh, I went to my regular Sunday class. And in the summer, classes... In Boston, I don't know, in a lot of studios, but in the studios I teach at, the the attendance is slightly down. You have these kind of variables. Sometimes it'll be bigger, more like fall classes. But for the most part, attendance is kind of down, which is understandable. People are outside doing things. And um, on on the Sunday before I left for training, I had two people, two people show up. And I can honestly tell you, um, years ago that would have just sent me into a tizzy like why do I only have two people what don't they like about me you know all this kind of stuff um but I had I had absolutely no no upset about it matter of fact when the first woman showed up I sat with her for a few minutes and we talked about what were her questions what did she want to you know, what did she want to do? What kind of questions did she have about anatomy? That was my focus. Did you? Have, and she had all these questions, all these really good questions. <laughs> How to move from high to low push-up, shoving some pain in her trapezius, doesn't understand alignment and this pose and that pose. And then the other person came and, and she kind of saw kind of where things were going. So she jumped right in and, and we had such a great practice together. Um, And afterwards, I chatted with them, and I really made some great connections. So there it is, two people, right? Two people out of however many people I might typically have in a class. But I, you know, we, the three of us, were really able to make a good connection and have a really enjoyable class. So, you know, that's just one example. So you can see, you know, even though your reach may be minimal when it comes to numbers when you're starting out, if you give your all to the students who show up, you will develop depth. And through that depth, your numbers will grow naturally. So let's talk about this next one here. I'm not pretty enough or have the right body type. I'm not fit enough or insert whatever other kind of negative thing about your body image you want to put here. So I'm going to tell you another little story. I like to fill these things with stories to keep it interesting. So I'm a mentor, uh, a mentor. She should use good pronunciation on the podcast. I'm a mentor to new business owners at a local nonprofit here in Boston called the Center for Women in Enterprise. I love working with them. I give workshops on different aspects of um, digital marketing. And a big component of what they offer is a free hour of coaching with an entrepreneur to guide you in your business. 
And um, I recently met with a woman who had graduated from yoga teacher training, and she was starting a yoga-based business. And she was explaining to me how she had gone to this training, and many of the people looked so much more fit than her. Um, They were younger. They had a lot of tattoos. And she said that she felt awkward and not cool enough to be part of the group. And I know for myself in my early years of teaching, but even now to some degree, I scroll through social media and I think, who am I to be doing this compared to some of these young, really fit teachers? But then you say, why not me? Right? I listened to a really great podcast um, by one of the digital uh, entrepreneurs I followed, James Wedmore, and he had um, a woman on, Shelly Varela. I hope I'm getting her name right, Shelly Varela. And she talked about this, why not me? She has a really good TED talk too, if you if you catch that. Um, you know, why not me? I have my own expression of yoga and it shines through me in my own way. And no one else can present it in the way that I do. Not every student will find that I'm the teacher for them, but for some students, they'll relate to me and for them, I'll be a good fit. This is how you find the students for you. Right? Not by changing yourself, but by being yourself. You know, and let me also add this, that the yoga industry right now um, is really acknowledging that there are all different expressions of yoga and encouraging and supporting people with diverse backgrounds. One of the interesting ways this has come out is through articles that talk about the language we use and how we can be more inclusive in our phrasing and cues. You know, things like, let's do more crunches, it's beach body time, can hurt someone's feelings if they already feel self-conscious about their body. You know, even the use of pronouns when greeting class, you know, things like, hi, it looks like we've got a class full of women today. Where are the guys? I, I've heard that a couple times. You know, that, that can show some insensitivity. You just don't know what people's gender sensitivities are. The other factor to consider is this. Did you ever look out in a yoga class and see how different people look? You know, I teach here in Boston in an urban studio and um, in an urban environment. So there literally are people from all over the world. I remember one day a new student came to class and she spoke fluent French but really struggled with English. And there was another student doing check-in and she spoke French really well, so she was able to help her. I mean, the point is there are so many differences among students, so it's fantastic if our teaching community can reflect that as well. So let's talk about the next one. The next one is, I can't do complicated postures. I'm not skilled enough at yoga. So I'm gonna make an admission here. I can't do a handstand without the support of a wall. And, you know, I just actually got an email yesterday from a friend of mine. Apparently, Halle Berry can do a handstand without a wall because her Instagram picture yesterday showed it. Um, But I can't, you know, I can't do it. So there, I've said it out loud. I used to hide it. I used to worry that somehow someone was going to find out that I can't. I've never posted a picture of me on a beach doing a handstand, never gone on retreat and had a friend take a picture of me in the yoga room doing a freestanding handstand. Maybe... You know, I don't know, maybe it's going to come in my future, but I'm not really going to spend a lot of time trying to get there. You know, now I know to most people, maybe you're listening and you're thinking, so what? But to me, this felt so wrong. I somehow equated certain postures with a certain amount of skill. And therefore, 
I, I had in my head this idea that it was a requirement for teaching. Bullshit. There are literally hundred of, hundreds of yoga poses and many different styles. Different styles emphasize different things and can even emphasize different poses. The wonderful thing about yoga is that you can pick and choose what style of yoga resonates with you the most and teach that. What good would it be to teach something that didn't feel like it fit you? Plus, for most yoga classes, throwing out a handstand or even a headstand is quite optional, if even suggested. Um, you know, I like to teach more to the middle lane versus suggesting poses that are super challenging. Although I will say that even warrior poses can be challenging. So what's to say what's challenging to one person isn't super easy to another? So let's talk about the last one. The last one, I'm too old or I'm too young. So I read an article a while ago about the youngest yoga teacher. I think that's how they phrased it. And, and I think it was a young woman who was around 15 or 16. You know, in my opinion, I think it's going to be hard for someone that young to teach adults. It's hard to relate to someone so young as an adult. You know, she might have actually been um, better able to connect with kids her own age or around her age. I mean, think about how she'd open their minds to yoga. But in general, if we're talking about adults teaching adults, who is to say what's a good age? I've had teachers, as you most likely have, who are older and they have a great ability to connect with people of all ages, just as I've had younger teachers who have wisdom beyond their years and you never notice how young they are. The true essence of yoga lies in one's ability to be of service. And of course, what you can bring in terms of skills and content. You know, remember, it's not our job as teachers to be everything to every person. We can only be ourselves and let our authentic nature shine and connect us to those that we were meant to reach. So we've covered the self-limiting beliefs, okay? So I don't want to leave you there, right? Because I feel like this is maybe a little cathartic to get them out in the open, but I really want to give you some ideas, some strategies. So now that we've uncovered these self-limiting beliefs, dug them out of the ground, pulled them out from under the rug, let's get to talking about these strategies. How can we shift from thinking that we're less than to thinking about the power we can tap into when we tap into our authentic nature? That feeling that we're exactly who we were meant to be and we have a unique gift to share with our students. So first one, acknowledge how you feel. Acknowledge how you feel. So a strategy might be to keep a journal, right? When you have these thoughts, write them down. Put something by your bedside. If you like to keep a running diary on your phone, your laptop, but write these thoughts down. If you have a colleague that you can grab for a sit down, go out, you know, for a cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever, and start to get these things at it, right? Getting them out into the open can really um, diminish their power over us. The next one is identify your triggers and don't keep pushing your own buttons by going back for more. It's like the, the bad boyfriend, right? 
We just can't shake him and we just keep going back for more, hoping he'll change, right? So stay off social media if you're feeling low and do something with real live people. Take a yoga class, read a kick-ass book. I mean, books I love for feeling positive and powerful. Um, two good examples, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown and Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. If you have suggestions, please comment on social media when I post the podcast and, and let us know. You know, stop pushing your own buttons and making things worse. The next one is get engaged with your students. So the strategy is ask at least one person after class how they feel or ask at least one person before class how they're doing. I used to, as I said earlier in that first example, I used to really shy away from talking to people before and after, but I found that people are really willing to chat with you if you take the first step. And again, you can do this in your own way, right? So I'm not like a super like chit chatty person in the context of yoga teaching, right? I'm not going to like dig in there and be like, oh, ask you about your personal life and stuff. But I found a way to be balanced in my own mind and, and reach out to students a little bit to find out more about them. The next thing is always be learning. So the strategy is make a list of things you'd like to learn and identify one thing per month that you'll tackle and how you'll do it. For instance, if you want to learn more about anatomy, I can certainly help you there. <laughs> That's my specialty. And throughout these podcast episodes, I'll be sharing special offers that you as a listener can take advantage of. You can use workshops, podcasts, online courses, books, going to a yoga class with a teacher you typically don't practice with. You know, if you have a bit more time and money, start to identify longer go-away trainings that you can save for. The next one's a really important one, and this really, really comes from my own experience, my own very recent experience. Think about finding a mentor or coach that you can talk to. Self-limiting thoughts are hard to get past because we think they're real. Right, I mentioned this earlier. So the strategy is look to friends for referrals, people they're maybe using in this regard. Check out online coaching sites, but be sure to verify a coach's background and experience. I provide online coaching to yoga teachers, and in my own experience with someone who I'm working with as a personal coach. Now, she's not a yoga teacher. She's, she's actually a neuropsychologist, so she's got kind of the the brain piece, kind of thought patterns based in science, which I absolutely love in her background. But in working with her, I found that the critical piece that she brings to our conversations is that she doesn't know me. She doesn't know me. This means she's less invested. She's less invested in telling me what I want to hear and more prone to call me on my bullshit. There's a time for calling your mom and dad and getting support in that kind of no matter what, will love you sort of way. And this is a really important part of feeling loved and supported, especially when you're feeling down. And there's also a time for someone to tell you what they're hearing. And if they're skilled as a coach, you know, maybe they're a psychologist in their background, other specialties. If they're skilled as a coach, they'll be able to recognize the mental tricks you're using to block yourself from being your best self. 
These mental tricks was what I was referring to before when I said that when you're having these self-limiting thoughts, you can't see reality. Working with a coach will help you pull out of the maze of your thoughts and determine what's really happening. The last thing is do things that make you feel empowered. So strategy could be go for a run, practice yoga, go out to eat a nice dinner, go to the beach, do anything that helps you connect to your power. And you'll shift your brain from thinking I am not to I am, right? I am. And maybe something will come to your mind. I am, fill in the blank. So I'm, I'm tired from talking. <laughs> these are emotional for me to do these with you. So a few things before we wrap up. My website is barebonesyoga.com. And as a teacher, there are a ton of resources on there. I'm going to direct you to one specific one, my Learn Anatomy Challenge. As I mentioned earlier, anatomy is my specialty and I've created a free training to help you learn anatomy for teaching. To download your PDF guide that will walk you through what I cover in this training and direct you to the videos on my YouTube channel, just go to my homepage, scroll halfway down and you'll see the box, Learn Anatomy Challenge. Click the box, I'll email you the PDF, super easy. And keep in mind, when you participate in the challenge, I give you details about how you can get a free coaching session from me. Free. So that's one of the um, advantages of participating in it. The next thing I want to tell you about is if you're looking for a teacher's guide, both on topics of development, right, which is what we're talking about here, and building your business, right, if you're looking for something that covers both those angles, check out my book, stretched build your yoga business grow your teaching techniques this is a guide that i wrote to cover a whole bunch of topics it covers everything from setting up a revenue dashboard to creating themes for your classes and you can read the reviews on amazon from a whole bunch of teachers who've read it just go to the books page on my website it'll link you to amazon or just go on amazon and google stretched and you'll see that and then two more things if you are remote, right, you can't, you're not in Boston and you're interested in practicing with me, I do have online classes. Just go to the online classes page of my website, barebonejoga.com. And if you are in or near Boston, I have four events coming up. I have one spot left for my summer yoga pop-up class on August 22nd here on Newberry Street in Boston. And... That's going to be a special event. It's a yoga class filled with anatomical cues as well as fun giveaways and discounts. It's at a unique space that I've rented. I wanted something that's kind of a non-yoga space, but a lot of sunlight, really just cool zen looking space. So I rented a cool space for that. And in September, I'm doing a workshop about building shoulder strength for arm balances. And then I'm doing a related workshop to that in October along with the fundamentals workshop. And you can find all the links to sign up for these uh, events and workshops on my website events page. The, the website again is barebonesyoga.com. So I want to thank you so, so much for listening. And the podcast is going to be posted again on the podcast page of the website, but I do post it on social media. 
And you can always comment to any of the posts on social media about the podcast. You can send me an email. I'm working to get it on iTunes. And once it's on iTunes, you can start to leave reviews. But always feel free to comment on my social media pages, which Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the same handle, Barebones Yoga. Or send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Namaste.